Let's go, Thomas. Woohoo! Thanks for the cheers, man. I appreciate that. If you don't know, my name is Thomas. And you can shout out, Go Thomas. Makes you feel good. Uh, uh, in all seriousness, it is good to be together with you on this Veterans Weekend. Uh, for those who have served amongst us, we just want to say thank you for your service and the ways that you care and protect us and the ways in which we are able to gather and worship our Lord Jesus Christ because of the country that we live in. So thank you very much to our veterans. When I think of, of, of serving in that capacity, I often think of their service domestically at a time of, of tragedy that's usually um, happened by some sort of natural disaster. And so if you think of some of the big, huge natural disasters that the country has faced over the years, you think of things like Katrina, hurricanes in Katrina, hurricanes in Florida, you think of wildfires in California and Oregon, here in Colorado. You think of, her, or you think of tornadoes going through the Midwest and, and, the, and the towns in Kentucky. You think of the flooding in the Midwest. And you think of all these catastrophes that happen. And, uh, and often at those times we see that our servicemen and women are there present helping us. And it, it's such a beautiful picture of their care. But during those times of, of tragedy and disaster... There is a one-word question that is asked. What is it? Why? Like, why did this happen? Why did this happen to, to these people? Why did this happen to me? And, and we ask those questions when we see natural disasters. And we ask those questions when we experience suffering in our own life. Maybe it's through accidents or other people's decisions that impact our lives. And we just ask, Why? Why did this happen to me? And we can get to a place where we think, well, maybe this is my fault. Maybe God is judging me. Maybe this is a consequence for the way that I've lived. Or maybe God is judging them and the consequence of how they have lived. Why? That's the question being asked in our text today. So if you've got your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, Jesus continues to teach these large crowds of people. And there's a person that asks, not really asks questions, but presents a problem and wants to know what Jesus' commentary on it is. It's probably one of these tragedies that people are asking, why? So here it is, chapter 13, verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told him this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. 
Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then it should bear fruit next year. Well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. You know, when, when I was thinking about child dedications, I thought the message you want to give is repent or perish. That's just a child dedication message. Uh, now, this is why I love going through the Bible the way we do. Because if you just handpick all the texts that you want to preach on, you never get to these texts, do you? And so these are wonderful texts to be in and to explore what is Jesus talking about. Because in our minds, we think of those people with those large signs. We were down at the Avs Parade. The Avs won the Stanley Cup, and my whole family's down at the Avs Parade. And here come these Christians holding massive banners that are on fire, pictures of fire. It says, repent or perish. Is that what Jesus had in mind when he was giving this message? Or is there something hopeful here that if we properly understand what Jesus is saying is this beautiful thing? This is a beautiful thing. I, I, I think it's the latter. And so here Jesus is confronted with probably popular media. Everyone's talking about what had happened. And according to Josephus, Josephus, a Roman historian, there are times when Pilate put to death what he viewed as political adversaries. Perhaps it's these Galileans. And, and he does it at an opportune time when they would be defenseless. This is probably during Passover when they're offering sacrifices. And Pilate, who's a cunning politician, puts these Galileans to death. And, and everyone's talking about it. And they're asking Jesus, what did they do? Why? Like, why did this happen to them? Were, were they like a bunch of sinners? And then Jesus tells another story. He goes, okay, well, if you think they're a bunch of sinners, what do you think about those who the Tower of Siloam fell on? We know there's a pool of Siloam by the, the Jerusalem wall. Perhaps there was a tower on the wall. And during maybe one of Pilate's reconstructions or sorry, Herod's reconstructions, that tower fell down and, and killed 18 people. Maybe there were dozens spared or multiple people spared, but these 13 died. What about them? Did, did God punish them? So there's really three kind of possibilities of answering this question. When natural disasters hit, when suffering comes into your life, and you're asking why, usually we go to one of these postures. One is this. Well, they must have been bad people. Like, bad people have bad things happen to them. And good people have good things happen to them. And so if you see bad things happening to people, well, that's because they deserved it. And we tracked this for a while, attributing our own successes to our own good decisions. We're good people. We've made good decisions. We've reaped the good harvest of that. Those people are bad people. They've made bad decisions. Bad things are coming on them. But then something crazy happens. Bad things come into our life. And that whole posture gets debunked. So if it's bad things happen to bad people, and bad things have happened to me, well, I'm a, I'm a good person. Right? And bad things have come into your life, and you're thinking, but I'm a good person. Right? And so we reframe this question and we think the whole world is this, is why do bad things happen to good people like us? We're good people, right? That's one of the postures, is to look at whom the tower fell on and said, well, they deserved it. 
they were bad people. And you can sense that from the question that Jesus asks them. Do you think they were worse sinners, worse people than you? Like the tower and Pilate and this evil should have fallen on them because they're bad. That's the question in their mind. Everyone's going, I don't know. Another posture is not to look at the people in whom these things happen to, but God or the cosmos or the energy of the world. And so people will often say, well, you know what? God did this to them. God's bringing judgment to them. God is paying them back for the sin in their life. Or, you know what? Life's just not fair. The universe is unfair, and there are things that happen in our life where you can be good or bad, and it's just going to happen. Which leads to this third posture of just indifference. Like, who cares? Why are you even asking the question? You live in a world, bad things happen, get over it. Now, these can lead you to one of two directions. One, you become a cynic. Like, ah, who cares about life? Or, yeah, all these bad things can happen to good people. It doesn't matter how you live. Or you can become real proud and arrogant and think, well, I'm going to be a really, really good person and nothing bad's going to happen to me. If I live this proper way, God owes me a really good life. This is kind of what Job and his friends struggled with. Remember the story of Job? So Job has all kinds of atrocities happen to him. He experienced the death of loved ones in his family. He experienced the loss of financial gains. He experiences the loss of his own health. And his friends come. And which posture do the friends take? Job, you did something wrong. We know bad things happen to bad people. Like if you were a righteous person, these things wouldn't be happening to you. So his friends spend the majority of the book of Job trying to convince him, you should really know the bad things you did because we know bad things only happen to bad people. And Job, what's the posture Job takes? God must have done this to me. Like I'm innocent. I've done nothing wrong. And so God has caused this to happen in my life as probably it's not fair. Maybe God's not fair. Maybe God's not the God that I know. And so he's trying to blame God and his friends are trying to blame him. What is your posture to it? Like when you see these catastrophes in the world and like real human suffering, how do you respond? Do you blame God? Do you blame the people? Are you just indifferent towards it at this point? Well, Jesus answers the question and then tells a parable. So Jesus, Jesus is telling them, okay, do you think they're worse than you? That's the question that Jesus asks. Do you think the people that experienced the tower falling on them were worse than you? And what's Jesus' answer? I'm so thankful he gives an answer. He gives an answer. What's the answer? No! The answer is No! So you can't look at these natural catastrophes and say, there's God's judgment bringing on because of their sin and wickedness. And you know what? God is showing favor and goodness to me because of my righteousness. No, Jesus' answer is no. No. He says that they're not worse sinners than you. So they're not worse than you. Does that make you better than them? No. So he puts us both in the same boat. Those in whom towers have fallen on and those whom lives are going just peachy fine, he puts us in the same boat. You are not worse than them. They are not worse than you. You are the same. Are we the same innocent or the same guilty? The same guilty. Oh, 
So the question is not, why do bad things happen to good people? The question really is, why does anything good happen to bad people? Like, why is there any good in your life? Think of all the the, the potential towers or consequences that you could have experienced, but you didn't. How many times have you sped driving and not gotten a ticket? Why do good things happen to bad people? Why do all of these lawbreakers get away with breaking the law with no consequences? How about those lies that you've told? How about when you lost your anger with a friend or a loved one and the relationship didn't end? Like, why does anything good happen to us? That's a better question. Think about all the ways in this last week that you lived, you breathed, you went to work, came back from work, ate, and your life was preserved. And there wasn't tragedy in your life this week. What's the source of that, we should ask? But Jesus is answering this question, were they worse sinners than you? And he says, no. We all deserve, we all deserve to have towers fall on us. We all do. And Jesus simply says, so likewise, since you're in the same boat with them, likewise, repent lest you perish. Repent lest you perish. Now that doesn't sound super comforting, does it? So we have to look at one thing here. I think this is, this is the crux of it. Is who is Jesus talking to? Is he talking to the people in whom the towers have fallen and their life is crushed right now? No. No, they're, they're alive. The towers didn't fall on them. They're alive. They were, they were preserved. So he's not, these words are not to those who are crushed by life's sufferings. The Bible has so much to say to those who are experiencing the weight of the sufferings of the world. You can think of Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who, is crushed, who are crushed in spirit. That's God's direction towards those who are suffering. He says this in 2 Corinthians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort we which, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So God is near those who are suffering. He brings comfort to those who are suffering. Those are the words of God for those who are experiencing the collapse of the towers in their life. But who is Jesus talking to at this moment? Jesus is talking to the people where their life is going swimmingly well. They don't have towers collapsing in their life. There's not suffering in their life. He's talking to those people where it just seems like everything seems to click for them. He's talking to those people who are like, yeah, I made, I made financial investments and I've, and I've been rewarded for that. I tried to raise my kids as best as possible and... and they're doing well. I've looked in the community and I've, I've worked really hard in the community and I've been elevated in my position and life seems to be going well for me. So he's talking to all these people who life is going well for and he tells them, repent, lest you perish. And you think, wait a minute, maybe I don't get repentance then. Because I thought repentance was told to the people who did the really bad things and they were, they were supposed to stop doing the really bad things And be really sorry for it and ask for forgiveness for it and come back to God. 
Why is Jesus telling the people whose lives seem to be going so well to repent? You see, once we crack this nut, it'll all kind of come together. And the reason is, we are probably in the most spiritually dangerous place we can be when everything's going well. When everything's going swimmingly well for you, it's the easiest to walk away from God. Now, that's not to say there's not trials and struggles when we are suffering. God, are you really there? Do you really care? Do you see me? Will you provide for me? Will you carry me through this? That is real. But maybe perhaps what more people are susceptible to is when it's going all too well. And we say, why would we need God? Like, look at the decisions that I have made and how well they've gone for me. Look at how I've parented and how well it's gone for me. Look at the successes that I've had. And we begin to fall in love with what that has produced. And we walk away from God. So what is repentance? Repentance is not simply the emotional sorrow and grief we feel when we do something wrong. It can be that. But it is actually the engagement of our mind to rethink the direction of our life. Repentance is entering the mind saying, is the direction that I'm going the direction I should be going? And if it's not, to rethink that direction and turn and then go towards another direction. Repentance has a turning element to it. It's not just simply you're driving, you're going down this way of life, and then you feel really sorry for the things you've done, and say, oh, I'm so sorry, God, and then you continue to journey down this way of life. Repentance is you are going a certain way away from God, either more and more into poor decisions, or even more and more having your heart captured by the beautiful things of this world and falling more and more in love with the world, and you leave God behind, and repentance is to rethink the direction we're headed and to say it's away from God. I'm going to turn. I'm going to return to God. And start walking towards the Lord. That's what repentance is. And so who needs repentance? Everybody. Everybody does. When do we need to repent? Daily. All the time. Martin Luther is kind of known as one of the most famous reformers. Of the Protestant faith. He wrote the 95 Theses. Remember this? So, so Luther, remember, he, his desire was not to leave the Catholic Church. His desire was to reform what he saw as corrupt. Which has since been reformed. Just so you know. So he wants to reform. Not, yeah, we'll, we'll go into that in our time. So <laughs> he wants to reform what he sees as corrupt. Particularly with indulgences. Which has been reformed. Okay. Do you know what his first thesis, what his first statement of reformation is? He nails 95 of them. Do you know what the first one says? This is the first one. I'll read it to you. First one from Martin Luther. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And then he differentiated that between confession he said the whole Christian life is repentance. That's what Jesus is inviting us to. See, in our minds, we often think of repentance as something we have done in the past. 
Like, have you repented? Oh, yeah, I did that. It was like April 5th of 1974. And you're like, and not since, huh? You're like, no, that was it. That's often in the Protestant's mind. It's often in the Protestant's mind. What Luther's saying is, no, the whole Christian life is a life of repentance. Constantly returning to the Lord. Not letting our hearts be captured by other love affairs. Not letting our hearts be betrayed by its sin. But continually, daily returning to the Lord. To engage our mind and continue to walk after the Lord. Think of the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer... We pray for our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And and what do we say in the same breath as that? We're looking for daily provisions. Daily bread and what? Forgive us. Forgive us of our debts. Our trespasses. As we forgive our debtors or those who trespass. Those who wrong us. And so we pray prayers of repentance in the same breath that we pray for our daily bread. And so repentance is not something the Christian has done 65 years ago. Repentance is what the Christian is doing every single day. So they're doing. And now here's the, here's the joy of it, is that repentance is actually the invitation to come and enjoy God's good grace. It's the only way to actually deal with your sin. Because if you don't have repentance that's met with grace, then we'll never be honest with ourselves. Like, I'd never admit to you the depth of my sin if I didn't know there was God's grace on the other side. And so God's grace is the way that repentance works for us. It's actually the joy of it. So here is this picture of a fig tree. And Jesus tells this parable. He says there's a fig tree which often stands for the nation of Israel. And you're going to see it's actually a representation of us as human beings. But first is for Israel. It's a fig tree planted in a vineyard. Isaiah speaks of Israel and this beautiful vineyard that God has planted. And so the owner of the vineyard shows up and he looks at this fig tree and there's no figs on it. And what do you do with trees that don't bear any fruit if you're investing all of the water and time in trees that should bear fruit? You cut it down. Like why would I waste? This is what the vine dresser says. Why would I waste the space? If the tree's not going to bear fruit. But then, what does the gardener say to the owner? Give me time. Like, I love this tree. I want this tree to be here. I want this tree to be healthy. Give me time. I've come three years in a row and there's no fix. I know, I know it looks like they're dead. It looks like they will never produce fruit. Give me time. And then what does the gardener do? I'm going to irrigate it. I'm going to make sure it has all the water it needs. I'm going to to put manure, fertilizer on it. Make sure it has all the nutrients it needs. What is the the gardener doing? I'm going to do everything possible so that this tree would bear fruit. What's the fruit that the gardener is looking for? Repentance. It's the fruit of repentance. That's what the parable is. It's an illustration of God coming to Israel... As a proud tree. And no one's turning to God. That's the parable. Is that God sent his only son Jesus Christ who has come in. And the people that are flocking are all the the prostitutes. All the tax collectors. All the sinners. And who remains 
far from God. The prideful, religious elite who everything seems to be going swimmingly well for. The ones asking the questions. Who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind? Like we know it's sin that causes these things. And Jesus says, nope, that was in this man's life for the glory of God to be revealed. They're the ones looking at everybody's sin, but it never comes to repent from their own. And so the fig tree is the prideful individual that's probably everything is going swimmingly well for. They're self-satisfied. They're self-sufficient. And they will not turn and come to the Lord. And Jesus says, all right, I, I, I love you. Maybe you're one of these people. I love you so much. I'm, I'm going to do everything I possibly can so that there would be fruits of repentance in your life that you would come to the Father. And so I'm going to fertilize your life. I'm going to irrigate your life. I'm going to pour blessings on your life so that it would lead you to the Father. It would, it would make you turn and catch your attention and go, man, I'm coming home. This is what the New Testament pictures when it talks about repentance. This is Romans chapter 2, verse 4, talking about those who have just ignored God for so long. Paul says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to what? Repentance, returning to him. His kindness that he lavished on your life, all those blessings are meant to capture your heart that you would repent, return to him. Do you presume that these kindnesses, these blessings, these things going well for you are because you did it all? Paul's like, no, those are, that's the kindness of the gardener irrigating your life. That you would bear fruits of repentance. This is what Peter says. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Like, where is Jesus? Why has he not returned? Restore all, all things already, Jesus. But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach what? Repentance. What's Jesus saying? I know your heart is hard towards God because everything is going well for you. But look at the patience and the kindness of him in your life. That's the irrigation and the fertilization in your life that he might get your attention and you would come back to him. That you'd return to him. Now the only way I'm willing to repent is if I know how I'm going to be received. Like if God is a harsh father that just has a laundry list of mistakes ready to guilt and shame you. Do you want to come to him? But how does Jesus portray the Father receiving penitent children? Think of, think of the parable of the lost son, the youngest son, who, who is a prodigal. He leaves. And then he repents and returns to his father's house. He thinks he's going to get the laundry list of mistakes and get, and get more guilt and shame. But how does the Father receive him back? He's back! This is awesome. Get my clothes. Get my ring. Adorn him. Get a fattened calf. Slaughter it. Let's celebrate. It's awesome. So what is repentance? 
is enjoying our Father's delight of us. How amazing is that? That's so humbling. That's so humbling. That what you receive in repentance is the lavish love, forgiveness, and adornment of your heavenly Father. So why don't you repent? What keeps you from repenting? The Lord in His kindness is irrigating your life. In His patience, He's waiting as long as possible so that all His fig trees would bear this fruit. And what a sweet fruit it is. It's not bitter. It's sweet. It's a delight to have this in your life. We want to be people who live lives of, lives of repentance. Not only to God, but to one another. There are many marriages in this room that simply need the healing touch. I'm going to pick on guys, because I think guys have to go first in this. That need the healing touch of their husband to simply say this phrase. I was really wrong. Will you forgive me? Like your marriage needs to be healed by you husband going first and asking to be forgiven. And there are wives in this room that need to ask their spouse for forgiveness. And we want to be a people of repentance, returning to the Lord, seeking his forgiveness first, seeking for the forgiveness of others, like we do our daily bread. And so this whole parable, this whole parable that Jesus is unpacking is, is to the people in whom suffering has not come upon and he's saying, you whose lives are going swimmingly well, who don't think you need God, who don't think you're a big time sinner, you need to turn into the Lord or otherwise you perish as well. Like, they're not worse sinners than you and you're not better than them. All of us need to return to the Lord with repentance. And that's what God's doing in our life. So here's the thing I would just say. If you sense God's activity in your life in any way of his irrigating, fertilizing activity to even just awaken in your heart the smallest inkling of a desire for him, do not ignore that today. There's no guarantee it's there tomorrow. Just do not ignore that today. If there's like the smallest inkling of a father calling you home, that is the Lord's work in your life. He's holding out as long as possible. He's being patient and fertilizing each of our lives to draw us home. And you do not want to ignore that work that he's doing in your life. And so what I want to do is just, is just want to end there. So that we as a congregation would be paying attention to what God's doing in our life right now. And so would you bow your heads with me? I'm just going to lead you through some prayers. Father, for many of us, life is going just fine. Help us not to forget you. Help us not to forget that all the goodness that we enjoy is from you. Lord, we are truly prone to wander. Lord, we, we know it. 
We're, tro- we're so prone to leave the God that we love. And so, Lord, this is, this is us to offer our hearts daily to you and ask that you would forgive us and restore us and keep us in right relationship with you. Father, I pray specifically for the very prideful people in this room. Lord, I struggle with pride. I pray that in your kindness, Lord, in your fertilization of their life, that you would would bring humility, that they would sense a need for you. Father, I pray for those who haven't thought a single thought of you in many days, weeks, months, or perhaps ever. And today there is an awareness of your work in their life. I pray that they would not ignore it. Father, help us be a people of repentance. Lest we be cast off from being fruitful trees in your vineyard. And so, Lord, we just pray for humility. It takes so much humility. I just pray for humility to be, to be given to men and women in this room, young and old. I pray that they would have that posture in the relationships with you and with others. And now I just want to give you a, just a moment to pray to your Father, whatever he has stirred up in you this morning. Wherever he has revealed perhaps some of your wanderings. Just see, just, you just got to picture him. He's, he's that good father, that so good father that is ready to wrap his arms around you, embrace you, clothe you, adorn you, and celebrate that you belong to him if you come to him in repentance. Father, we thank you that you would send your son, Jesus Christ. The only one of us who does not deserve a tower to fall on him. Who allowed the cross to fall on him. Because of our sins. That he might offer us forgiveness. And so, Lord, we thank you for your generosity and your grace towards us. May we simply respond to the work you're doing in returning to the Father. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, as we conclude, would you guys stand and I'm going to read this benediction over you. This comes from the book of Jude. This is for all of us wayward sinners who just wonder, are we really going to make it? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. If we can be praying with you, our prayer team will be down here in the front. Otherwise, have a wonderful weekend and we'll see you very soon.